Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I'm so happy that you're joining us here today. We're going to have a very interesting conversation that I, I know that you're going to get a lot out of. So I'm, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad that Helen Hip is here today for us. Welcome, Helen. Thanks, Emily. And can you tell us a little bit about you and, and uh, why you're a good person to have on this podcast? <laughs> okay. Well, I'm a loss and grief counsellor. And I also work, uh, I also do um, happiness or joy workshops. And so when I heard you speaking and when I read your book, I was really excited that there was at least one other person in the world who was connecting joy and grief together because I've I've been a a grief and loss counsellor for a really long time and I've never once had, well, not, that's not not correct, but I have very occasionally um, had somebody who hasn't sort of lightened up a bit through their, through their counselling, um, talking about the loss and grief. And a lot of times um, when I've worked in offices sort of near other people and they say, well, how come there was laughing coming out of that room? Because you're, you're doing grief counselling and people have a preconceived idea about what grief should be and that it's heavy and that it's... Um, dark and that nobody can find anything else but heavy and dark in that whole process. And, you know, certainly for some people and for some periods of that grief, particularly in the early stages, um, that that is the case. And people sort of oscillate between that and other other states of being. But I think it's really important to, to make sure that there is a connection between the two. And I've, I've run in my business, I run... Um, Happiness is an inside job um, workshops. And again, I've had very few of those sessions where somebody hasn't ended up bringing up a grief issue when they're joy and grief together. So over time, I have really thought that there is a really strong connection between the two. And that's why I was so excited when I heard you speak and read your book that uh, you also had made that connection and, and we're doing something with it in the world. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's so exciting. I know when when I first started doing things, I was working basically from the perspective of grief and writing through grief because I'm I'm a writer and I write all the time, and that's what I was using to help me with my grief. And I was helping other people uh, deal with grief through their writing, but I kept feeling like something was missing. Mm. And then I I remembered that I've, I've had two husbands die, and after the the first one died. I found Marcy Shimoff's book, Happy for No Reason, and I read that, and it really helped me, and it helped me kind of change my perspective. So after Ron died, and I was doing all this uh, writing workshops and things with people, I knew something was missing, and I ran across Marcy again, and I said, ah, that's it. It's happiness. We've got to be able to have some lightness, some joy, some happiness in our lives, even if we are grieving. It's yeah. it's very important to have a balance in our life that way. And I 
also became a happy for no reason trainer and I'm so glad I did because it's just made all the difference in the world and I love helping people that way and they they tend to be surprised that they they really do start feeling a whole lot better faster than anything else they've tried yeah and I think it's something that's not actually sort of out in the general community because when I talk to people and, and say that I'm a loss and grief counsellor, they go, oh, how depressing. Oh, my God, that's really awful. Or they look at my bookshelf and, I, you know, I'm, I just have every book that was ever written about loss and grief and, and it's my real passion. Um, and people just say, oh, that's so depressing. How can you be doing that? And, and you know, like you, I can see the joy in it and I can see people moving in their grief and having awakenings and, going places they didn't think they were going to go and and I think it's it's a real missing missing piece in the sort of general conversation about grief and loss and I did um, Marcy's um, happiness training during COVID because I was sort of sitting around and thinking what am I going to do in all this time and I had seen her somewhere else before and then I thought oh I'll just do that and like you I was really pleased I did it because it's made a huge difference personally and also it really kind of shifted where I was going in my professional life. Yeah, it, it's interesting how how that's happened. Not everybody sees it that way. I I too, when I tell people what I work with, you go, grief and happiness doesn't go together. <laughs> how can you be happy if you're grieving? So it's led to lots of really interesting conversations. And it I think it's just generally something people don't talk about. They don't relate to it, so they don't realize that that's a potential. I think a lot of times people feel that grief is a is a life sentence of being sad for the rest of your life. And yeah. so I'm just thrilled when I can see somebody start smiling and start mm. laughing or saying something positive. It just, it, yeah. it warms my heart. Mm. And I think it sometimes shocks the person themselves because mm -hmm. for a lot of people, they get that, um, and I think you wrote about it in your book as well, they get that idea that, you know, if I'm happy or if I find myself laughing, that, that means I've forgotten them or I'm not honouring them, the person that I, I lost. And, um, you know, that that's just just so not true. Um, so people are often shocked and resistant to that. But then when they start doing that, they go, oh, okay, this is fine. I can still remember that person with love. I can still honour them and, you know, remember them and cry about them sometimes and, and get angry other times. But I can actually also laugh and I can go to a funny movie and laugh and I can talk to my friends and be having a good time. So it's not just all dark, heavy, gloom stuff and that sort of life sentence that you just mentioned. Yeah, I, and I, I think it's it's really important to let yourself go watch a funny movie yeah, or, mm. or find something humorous that, that you can smile about. Mm. Or I, I had one friend who was um, going through chemotherapy and I said, I really want to do something for you. Is there something that I can bring you? Can I get you? Can I do something for you? And she goes, what you can do for me is send me jokes. Mm -hmm. Email me jokes. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. okay, I'm not a big joke person, but I guess I'm going to have to <laughs> figure out some things. So I found jokes, but I also found things like uh, little videos that you can find on YouTube and other places of something like I love puppies, you know, little little puppies or a, a little child's laughter that just mm. full out no holds barred laughter. And when I could find things like that, I'd send that you can't help but smile or, or laugh along with them when mm. you see that. So yes. I, I think that's really important to instead of 
wallowing in the sadness to, to actually find something that can make mm. you happy. Mm. Yeah. And I know a few years ago, I, I was um, having chemotherapy too for breast cancer. And it was the same thing. Everybody sort of suddenly, I mean, that was, you know, a loss and grief thing as well, but everyone suddenly got really sort of serious and and they, they kept saying to me, how come you're you're actually laughing and, and talking about stuff? And I said, well, because, it, you know, I'm not dead yet. I'm actually just going through chemotherapy. And, you know, obviously I could be dead at the end of it, but I wasn't luckily 17 years ago. Um, and, and my sister-in-law, because I didn't sort of see a lot of people at that time because I was a bit bit concerned about, um, you know, picking up picking up things while I was having chemotherapy, she sent me a funny card every single week. And that was her way of connecting and showing that she was caring about me. And I really looked forward to that funny card. And, you know, that was a great thing. So it was similar to what you were just saying, to just kind of lighten it all up because, you know, you don't have to have to, like you say, while I will be involved and that's the only kind of thing that you can be, how you can be reacting. Mm. Yeah, I, I love the idea of, of sending cards. I, mm. I really do. I, that was another thing that I did for the person who asked for jokes because <laughs> mm. I, I thought I, I love getting things in the mail. So I was sure she would too. And she told me she she did really enjoy that. So mm. I'll do that when I, I'm working with somebody, a, a friend or whoever it is who is dealing with grief or loss or something like chemotherapy. Um, I'll always find something positive that I can and send to them. And you mentioned about um, not honoring whoever it was who you're dealing with their loss. And it made me think of, of my husband, Jacques, was he was a funny guy. He just he laughed a lot. I, I didn't laugh nearly as much as he did, but he laughed a lot. We even had a, a cockatiel. We were trying to teach how to talk, but and that bird refused to talk. But he laughed exactly like Jacques. So mm-hmm. I would think that Jacques was there when when Jacques wasn't home. I thought, I didn't realize you got home yet. And he wasn't home. It was a bird. <laughs> so I... I remember when I start getting into that that position where I'm thinking, oh, you know, I, I shouldn't do this because I'm grieving. I go, no, Jacques would want me to laugh too. He always mm. wanted me to laugh along with him when he was laughing. And he would be much happier for me to be laughing. Now, laughing and smiling would be honoring him. Yep, yep. So I think that's a big shift that needs to happen. It's, you know, we talk about... Um, our society being, you know, grief denying, which is, you know, uh, uh, well, I think they're less grief denying now that COVID's here because so many people have been exposed to grief and loss in such a big way that perhaps people didn't have didn't have that exposure. But I think, you know, the the connection between joy and grief also is something that really needs to be um, talked about at every opportunity. And so this is a great great venue for doing that. Uh, you mentioned joy and you've mentioned happiness. And I have people debate with me all the time about the difference between the words and what it means. How do you see happiness or joy related to grief? What's what's the difference there? Yeah, I think with the training that I did with Marcy, I mean, she's got the happy for no reason and happiness workshops and all of that stuff. I found I, I started uh, running the, the workshops based on her work in South Australia, which is where I'm based, um, 
I ran it uh, for a couple of community groups and one in particular when I rang the person who was running the group and I said it was uh, my workshops are called happiness for, is an inside job and she went oh happiness and I thought oh okay what what's that and I asked her about it and she said oh you know there's this kind of toxic happiness that they talk about where everybody says oh you must be happy never look at dark emotions never do this always be happy and and I said well no that's that's actually not what it is and I explained that mine was was more um looking at what you can do inside to to look at happiness from the inside out so that it's not sort of I'll be happy when um, you know, I lose this or I have a perfect partner or I get my great job or I win a million dollars in the lottery. So it's not dependent on other things, but it's something that you cultivate inside. And she went, oh, oh, well, that's okay. And so I've just been a bit a bit wary and I don't know if it's just perhaps an Australian thing where they just kind of go, oh, you know, everyone's talking about being happy and, you know, never, never having any other emotion, nothing else is valid. Whereas as a counsellor and, and, you know, in life, every emotion is valid and you look at every emotion and work with it as best you can with tools and with support. But the happiness thing, I don't know, again, if it's an Australian thing. And so I started using well-being and joy and sort of words that meant more inside inside happiness rather than that external, the external, I'll be happy if I do this or if that happens or when I get this. Um, so I think that's kind of where I've started making that distinction. And I was in a, a workshop with some other women um, this week and I was sort of pitching about my, my my business, Life's Next Chapter, and looking at the happiness workshops and they sort of had the same kind of reaction about, oh, happiness, what does that mean? And then when I explained what it meant, then, then they had, you know, a million examples that they could give from their own life. Um, so I'm not sure whether it's just the connotation of happiness and whether it is just a you know a, a thing in Australia or whether it's it's elsewhere as well. But that's why I've started kind of talking more about joy and well-being and, and contentment rather than just talking about happiness. That's that's really good. I, I like that. I've I've had some people say that joy is related to religion in the Bible and oh. that happiness isn't. And I thought, okay. <laughs> If, if that's what you choose to believe, that's okay. But I, yeah. I don't quite get that. So no, I, I think, no, it, it uh, I think a lot of it is whatever you decide it is for you. Mm. You know, because mm. we, we all have different backgrounds, all raised under different circumstances and, and think differently about things. And mm. I really, uh, I really didn't realize how I wasn't smiling that much. I, I I was felt like I was perfectly happy, but I just didn't go out of my way to smile about things. I didn't think about it. And once I started getting into the the happiness work, it, I find I'm smiling all the time just because I'm I'm I think choosing to see the the beautiful things in life that that make me smile and I smile about it and it feels really good. And I find the more I do it, the more I feel like doing it. And, and I feel like I'm just a hundred percent happier than I ever have been in my life. And yeah. that's another thing people say, how can you be happy? Your husband died. And well, I'm not happy that my husband died. <laughs> don't, mm. don't take me wrong. <laughs> it, it's not happy for that, but I am happy that he lived and that we had, both of them, we had beautiful lives together. Mm. Uh, so I I choose to focus on on the bright side 
Mm, mm. And I think that it's that choice that people often don't think that it's actually a choice. It's just, oh, well, this is just the way it is. But when they start learning either through, you know, mentoring or doing a course or doing counselling or whatever it is, they suddenly see that it is actually a choice and that you can choose not not to just live the rest of your life as a sad person who doesn't want to go out and never smiles, or you can choose to at times be sad and at times be crying and at times maybe still even being angry about whatever it was that happened to you that caused your your loss, whether it's the loss through a death or the loss of a million other things that, that are considered to be losses. Um, it's actually a choice that you can see that yet you can have a vast array of, of emotions and ways of dealing with it. But you do have a choice about that. And so if you choose to be that way, well, then that's your choice and that's how your path then leads forward. But you can also choose to smile a lot more and have gratitude and, and you know, be gracious and look at look back at your life that you had before that and just go, oh, that was fantastic, or smile about an event that happened that you remember and go, oh, that's right. And then that can change your whole your whole demeanor. And I think you know the other thing that's very important with with the sort of the happiness piece is the the neuroplasticity, the stuff that's been coming out in research about you know what you focus on actually increases. And people you know have been saying that for years and years, but now neuroplasticity is actually showing it scientifically. So now it's actually true, and you know it gets a lot more publicity. But that is really true. If you savour stuff and you look at stuff and you you focus on a, a happier way of being, then that's what becomes your reality rather than, you know, being negative and always looking at the dark side and glass half full kind of thinking. That's that's so true. Mm. And I, I think with the happiness work we're doing, we're not saying don't feel anything else. You need the variety in your life. You need to feel what you need to feel under the circumstances mm. and and deal with it, whatever it is. It, it could be that, that you're really sad. You just found out that a, a dear friend uh, transitioned or, or got diagnosed with something. It's It's perfectly normal and okay to be sad about something like that. Yeah. And you can be happy that you've had that person in your life and to yeah. make the most of the time that you've got left yeah. with them. Yeah. And I've done quite a lot of work in palliative care and I'm, I'm, I'm teaching kind of in that area still a little bit um, and I've been a palliative care counsellor and, you know, working with people who are dying has also been a really big, you know, call to making the most of every day and really enjoying every minute because, you know, those people have a, have a known limited amount of time left you know, we, who knows how much time we have, we might only have a limited amount of time, but we just don't know it. But, you know, those people generally have been given some sort of a, a prognosis saying, you know, you've got X amount of time. So, you know, they know that their lifespan is not going to be as long as they had hoped. And, you know, the people I've worked with there have been amazing teachers for me in terms of, you know, really making sure that you don't have a lot of regrets at the end of life, because in your last month or two of life it's it's really hard work to try to you know work through all your regrets and and forgive people that you need to and do all of that stuff but if you're living that every day then you haven't got a whole lot of baggage and stuff to deal with at the end of your life when you when you've got you know less energy and and um you know you're not well and all the rest of it 
So that's also been really important in shaping my my way of looking looking at stuff. Yeah, I I agree with that completely. I know um, my husband Ron was was such an example to me because he'd been mm-hmm. having health challenges for a couple of years, and we knew which direction it was headed, but we didn't, of course, know when. Mm-hmm. And when it came right down to it, and and we we very much focused on living in the moment. And that that was quite beautiful for us. So he didn't have like the regrets that pile up like a lot of people have. And Mm -hmm. when it came down to it, he was only on hospice for a week and he was he was ready for it. I mean, he, he told us it was time for him to go on hospice and he was ready. And he really had kind of taken care of business as it happened, whatever it was with dealing with people. But he said what he really wanted to do, there were people that he wanted to say goodbye to. And we got all the people that that could, I'm I'm in Hawaii, we live in Hawaii. So people willingly came when he said, come see me. Mm -hmm. And so we had, we had people sleeping on air mattresses and (laughs) every place and neighbors' Mm -hmm. houses, wherever we could fit them and had a whole lot of people here, but there were other people who couldn't come. And at that time, uh, people weren't doing Zoom that much, but they were doing FaceTime. So mm-hmm. he FaceTimed everybody. He, he made a list, made sure that he FaceTimed everybody that he wanted to say goodbye to or wanted to thank or wanted to tell them of their importance in his life. And mm-hmm. I, I was watching him do it. He was so happy. He was smiling in all those conversations. And the people on the other end could be in tears. And he was okay with yeah. that. He was gentle with them. But he didn't fall into the tears, too, because he was so happy that he was getting to do that. So it was it was a beautiful example to me of making sure you say what you need to say when you need to say it, not thinking that you'll get around to it someday. Yeah, because so many people don't ever get around to it because, they you know, there could be a sudden death or, you know, they could be too sick at the end of their life or whatever. And then there's all those regrets and the people that are left behind, there's also regrets there because they don't, they didn't hear what they needed to hear. So yes, I'm, I'm very much of that philosophy now since having worked with, with palliative care and also having my cancer diagnosis too, sort of realising that worrying about all the past stuff, because I've, I've always been a, a, a bit of a worrier and spending all that time there or then projecting into the, into the future going, oh, you know, what's if, what's if, what's if. And then I at one point um, had a bit of a, an awakening about about how I was operating, and I just thought, oh, you know what? I live in the, the now and be grateful. And I sent letters of thank you to all of the people that worked worked with me, you know, through the chemotherapy and all the rest of it, and all the people who supported me, and my family that supported me, and my son and my my husband, and so particularly the people in the medical world. Sort of went, oh, I've, I've never had a thank you. I've never had a card that said thank you for you know, helping me through my chemotherapy. And and so that really, again, changed me thinking, you know, you really do need to be in the moment and grateful. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not like that all the time. <laughs> I have my my times when I'm, I'm not, not at my best. Um, but having those skills, I think, is really important because it kind of, you just go, ah, okay, I'm doing that thing again. And then you come back and you go, now, what's a more skillful way of do, doing that? And that has has been hugely helpful in my own in my own life. Yeah, it's so important. I I just had a situation where we had a major plumbing issue here. Had to to um, I have a like a cottage on my property in addition to the house, and we had to replace 
all of the piping from the meter to the cottage, all of it, it's very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. And the plumbers were great. And it, it wasn't, I, I hadn't worked with them before, so it wasn't like I knew them or they were friends or anything. But I was genuinely thanking them or telling them about something positive that they did. And and they kept looking at me funny. And, and I, two different people of, of the guys commented on it and said, you know, nobody thanks us for what we do. <laughs> Hmm. And I thought, I am so grateful that you came out when you did and you were able to get it taken care of quickly. And uh, you know, they, they were just kind of in shock that I would say something nice. And I thought, boy, we need to say more positive things in this world. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I was saying before we got on air that I had um, a group of well, six, six young tree loppers because we had a huge gum fall down in a storm a few weeks ago. And they were exactly the same. We we sort of said thank you to them for coming and thank you for doing the good work. And we sort of helped them out a bit and sort of dragged a few things out that, that they weren't getting into because they were looking at the really big pieces of wood. And one fellow in particular, and they were all about, you know, 20, 25, some, somewhere in that age group, he came up and he said, wow, he said, people don't thank us and, and also they don't help us. And they were really grateful because a lot of people in this region had quite serious tree damage after this um, big storm. And he said a lot of people just come out and growl at us because we're not working fast enough or sort of get really upset when we've been working for eight hours hauling around big pieces of wood and then we have to go home and finish for the day. And they're saying, well, no, we expect you to be here. And so they were also incredibly grateful. And it's not that hard to be you know, saying thank you to people and and think about, you know, those people that you meet in the supermarket and the people that serve you and and all of those people that, you know, are there doing stuff, but, you know, people are either indifferent to them and treat them like they're just part of the furniture or they're kind of actively annoyed or grumpy with them and and really they never get a lot of appreciation and really those people are the, the people that keep things going a lot of the time. They mm. really are and it, it's so important to recognise that. And one of the benefits of that is it reflects back to you when you say something and they respond so positively, you can't help but feel good. Mm. And it's not like you were telling them thank you so that you'd feel good, but mm. the result of doing that can uh, help help you with your own mood. And a lot of times we just need to take responsibility for our own behavior. Yeah. And and we don't. Somebody always did something to us or they caused us to feel that way. And and when we start saying, I don't have to feel that way, I, you know, I can what's what's the good in this? What what uh, mm-hmm. can can I get out of this that that's good? And mm-hmm. I yeah. I feel really good when I somebody smiles because of something that I said, or or somebody obviously is touched by something that I was sincerely saying, not not just being mm-hmm off the cuff, but something that that was um, actually meaningful. And Mm. boy, it changes your life. If if you want to be happy, especially when you're grieving, that that positivity and that gratitude can make all the difference in the world. Yep, it certainly can. It certainly can. So I'm very, very big on that now. And I probably wasn't some years ago. So I'm sort of a work in progress like everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, and and that's that's the good thing is we can be a work in progress and we can get better and better and better and it feels really good when you do. <laughs> that's right, and uh, you know it's good to be you know the uh, a role model because you know be be the change that you want to see, and so if you 
if you do that, people are sometimes a bit taken aback, but, you know, you never know where the ripples of the way that you interact with someone are going to go in their lives. You never really know. It's like, you know, being being an educator, which is another thing that I, that I do, or being a counsellor, you never know that one little thing that you said that will trigger something and, and, you know, make some fairly big changes in people's lives because they never thought of it that way before or, you know, it just never occurred to them that this could be a big thing or that they could be like this or whatever. So, you know, I think that that's really important to to try as much as possible to be the change that you want to see in the world, whether it be in grief and loss or anything else. And then, you know, the more positive role models we have, the better the world's going to be. That's right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really nice when you can let that role model know too. It might not dawn on you at, at the time, but then you, you can reflect on it later in life. And if there's a way that you can get back to that person, it's really good. Like, for instance, I, I thought I couldn't write because I, I had a really severe vision problem growing up and it was undiagnosed. So I didn't get glasses because nobody knew I needed them. I just couldn't see. And I didn't know I couldn't see because I'd never seen anything different, you know. And when I I got into college and I had to take a writing class, I thought, oh, no, I'm going to flunk out of college. <laughs> and when I got into the class, I did really, really well because by then I had glasses and I could see and I I'd still been telling myself that story, but it wasn't so true anymore. And my writing teacher said something to me about what a good writer I was. And I was getting like the best grades in the class. And he pointed that out to me. And him telling me that changed my life. I'm a writer now. I publish books. You know, I teach people how to write to deal with their grief. And I attribute a whole lot of that to that comment that teacher made to me one day. It, it it really uh, you never know when you're going to say the thing that's going to turn somebody around, that's and exactly in grief right. it's really special when you can say something mm-hmm. like one of the things that I tell people when they say I don't know what to tell say to someone when they're grieving and they frequently say something that's not helpful. (laughs) And I say, you never go wrong if you tell them something wonderful about the person that died. Yeah. And it makes all the difference in the world. And you'll, you'll find smiles. They might make smiles and tears at the same time, but you'll feel better about saying it. They'll feel better about hearing it. And it's just, it's just a matter of paying attention. Mm, mm. And I think also, of being a little bit brave because mm-hmm. you know a lot of times and I hear in my counselling all the time that you know oh so my friend or my person at work sort of has, is kind of avoiding me or they don't you know they just kind of look at me and then walk away because they don't know what to say and they don't mean to be cruel they don't mean to be dismissive but they're really not feeling particularly brave or equipped with saying something that might be helpful and so they say nothing and then the person who's grieving is actually interpreting that in a particular way and it's usually oh well you know they must not really care about me because they don't actually they haven't said anything to me about this huge thing that's in my life at the moment so I think coming up with some statements like that for people um, to say is really useful because it does take a little bit of bravery because the easy thing to do is to go oh I don't know what to say I'll just I'll just leave it um, or I'll say, you know, sorry for your loss, because that seems to be a, a standard thing that people say. But for the person who's grieving, sometimes that can be very dismissive or, you know, what do they do with that? And so 
while I don't suggest necessarily that people that are grieving need to um, to be educators in terms of grief for other people and, and say, but sometimes it can be useful to just say, well, thanks for asking about that. You know, what, what I really need is X, Y, or Z. So there's a bit of bravery there on both parts. Um, but I think for a lot of times um, people just say the wrong thing without being intentionally hurtful, but they just say the wrong thing because they're just, they don't know what to say. And so they either avoid the whole thing or they say some sort of pat phrase that is not really that useful to the griever. Yeah. And and if you have someone who you're close to who has lost someone, before you talk to them, think about it. You know, if you're going to go visit them or you know you're going to see them, think about it. What What is it that I could say that, that would make a difference? And, and for the griever, also, they often don't know what to say in response to what somebody says to them. I know mm. the thing that was really getting to me was people kept going, how are you doing? Said, how do you answer that? <laughs> you know, what do you say? Do they want to list? Do they they want to know how terrible I really feel? What What is it that they're asking? So I, I thought about it and I decided to say I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, that's and when phrase. I said that, it it was it wasn't negative. It wasn't particularly positive, but it was more positive. And they saw that I heard what they said, and I responded to it in what I felt like was an appropriate way. Mm, mm. So it helped us both. Yeah, yeah, and that that's really useful because often people use that phrase, but then if you actually come back and say that you actually feel terrible you're you know devastated you're really sick because um, you know people use that when they're talking to people with cancer too um you know how are you and then if you actually say how awful you feel even though you might look quite good and you inside you're not feeling so good people sort of go oh oh what do I do with that oh um and, and then they kind of get all kind of twitchy and don't know what to do with that and, and either change the subject or go oh okay and move off and talk to someone else so yeah it's a really Really interesting, interesting thing on both yeah. sides. Mm. Yeah, and and they might not come back, <laughs> yeah. and that that you don't want that to happen either. Mm. So yes. that causes uh, huge grief for a, you know additional grief, that, that additional loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That they've lost their friend or you know their sister or whoever it was or their best mate at work who who kind of they they interpret then oh well he doesn't care or she doesn't care. And then that kind of spirals in, and then, you know, that that's the way that friendship goes then or that relationship goes because of that sort of mismatch of, you know, what, what is actually true for me and for you. Mm. Mm. That's mm. right. Wow. Well, this has been just a wonderful conversation. I think we could probably go on talking for hours here. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we could. And I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you. I admire the work that you're doing, and um, Australia is lucky to have you. I'm, <laughs> I'm so so pleased when I see people doing something positive about grief. Mm. And uh, all, all grief counseling, I don't get me wrong, all the grief counseling is good, but I love seeing the positivity included. I just think mm. it, it can brighten the world. Mm. It can, it can. Mm. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And I will have in the show notes underneath the, the recording for this show here, um, how to get a hold of Helen and, and things about her, who she, she is, what she does. And uh, you can contact her if you want to. And 
I'm I'm just happy to have people from all over the world actually come on my podcast. And I just think that's really exciting that we can share this message of, of uh, happiness with mm-hmm. lots of people. Yeah. So thank you. And hopefully I'll see you again next week. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.